Hello and welcome to People on Purpose. I'm your host, Paul Kimmerling. People on Purpose highlights individuals who strive to live authentically by aligning their choices with what is most true and meaningful for them. Today's guest is Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and here's a little bit more about Ken. Ken Dolan Del Vecchio is the founder and president of Greengate Leadership and is an award-winning leader and speaker on workplace mental health. He also delivers keynotes on power, bias, and inclusion in the workplace, and on parenting, couple relationships, and healing after loss. Ken's most recent books are The Simple Habits of Exceptional But Not Perfect Parents, The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups, and Making Love, Playing Power, Men, Women, and the Rewards of Intimate Justice. In 2017, Ken retired from his 19-year tenure at Prudential as Vice President Health and Wellness. At Prudential, he led an award-winning behavioral health services team for U.S. employees and was also responsible for leadership consulting and violence prevention. Ken has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Reuters, Fast Company, Bloomberg, among many others, and you can learn more about Ken at GreenGateLeadership.com. Ken, I'm delighted that you're with us today. Thank you. Hey, Paul, it's great to be with you as well. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So let's start off our conversation by something that probably you and I have recognized now that we're in whatever decade of our lives we are, which is that our our sense of purpose can can be a lifelong, iterative kind of process. And we'll get to that. But I'd like to start our conversation with asking about your current sense of purpose. So how would you describe that as of today? Well, it's something that I have carried for a long time. When I was early in my time at Prudential, I I started there in February of 1998, and I think it was probably around 2000 or so, I attended a program at what was then Prudential's Learning Center And there was a dinner speaker there who talked all about this notion of purpose, which I I think I had had carried, but I hadn't honed in any sort of way. And she talked about how important it is to have a purpose that you can articulate and to use that as your North Star. And I I latched onto that. And the way that I would talk to myself about my purpose was the following. I would say, I'll use my voice my talents as a writer, my skill as a therapist to bring as much health, sanity, and justice into the world as I can so that I leave the world a better place for my son and his generation. I have a son who's now 27 years old. And that has, that's been something that's been really important to me all of these years. And, and I would say that in more recent years, and I'm somebody who, who looks ahead all the time, looks ahead, thinks about not only what's going on today and, and, and trying to be present for right now, but, but where is this present leading me and where do I want it to lead me? And so as I moved towards retirement, I started thinking about how important it is for me. And it's a big part of my spirituality to be connected to the larger world of nature. So, so these days, my purpose is also connected to what can I, what can I learn in a deeper sense about the natural world? How can I facilitate the life of, of my local natural community and the larger biome? And so all, all of these things are, are very much connected. And that's 
that's a place where I'm focusing pretty much a quarter of my time, I'd say, at this point. Thanks for that, Ken. You know, you know, a word has come to me as a result of listening to you right now. And the, the word that's coming to me, and I'd just love to get your take on this, is the word nurture. I'm, I'm getting a sense that part of what you do is really take care of, and I don't mean in some like weird codependent way, but to really, um, to really nurture people and the world into a state of health. So I'm just curious about your reaction to that. Well, I, I like the word, the word nurture. I, I, my first thought, as you said, that was that, that to me, the, the notion of, of compassion, of listening, of, of healing, all these things are, are very much interwoven with, with that word. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'll take that for sure. I think that, that that's, you know, the way I think about it is that we're, we're given this life that is a miracle in such, such a miraculous thing. We have this consciousness, we have a body to move about in the world. We're perfectly, we're perfectly constructed to, to live on this planet and to interact with each other. And I, I think that it's just so important to be grounded in a sense of, of, feeling awestruck by the life that we've been given and to think in real terms about how long we're here for, what our options are and, and what we might be able to do to, to have as much fulfillment and to generate as much fulfillment as we can for others as well. This idea of being awestruck, I'm, I'm curious for you, what flows from your sense of being awestruck? Well, an enormous amount of gratitude. An enormous amount of gratitude. And, and just a sense of, of what, what a mystery it is that we're here. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it may sound a little creepy, but... But I it was is it was not uncommon for me. I I live in, I guess you'd call it rural Massachusetts now. My husband and I live in a town called Palmer, and we chose this place because because of my wanting to have some room to to do my regenerative landscape or permaculture project. But but for a number of years before I retired from Prudential. I would live half of my time here in Palmer and work from home. And then I would, I had a small apartment in Newark where my office was at Prudential. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I would come out of my office at Prudential in the morning and I would often, I, I wouldn't be thinking about this in a very deliberate sort of way, but I would just be awestruck by such simple things. I would be thinking, isn't it amazing that, I am breathing the air of this planet Mm -hmm. and I am perfectly in sync with that, that my physiology is perfectly made to, to breathe this planet's mixture of gases and that I am walking and my body is constructed in a perfect, in a perfect way to, to move about with the gravity that this planet has to 
pull me and keep me in place. And so I, I tend to be in a reverie a lot of the time about simple things like that. I'll, I'll say things like, and again, it's, it might be a little strange to some people, but, but I'll sometimes say to Tim, my husband, or to others, look at your hands. Can you believe, can you believe what a gift it is to have this as literally part of us? that this is how right. we're constructed. I mean, what what an amazing thing this is. And so to me, and I would often say this at Prudential, and I sometimes, I wouldn't get so so into it because of the, the sort of boundaries of quote unquote professional expectations. Right. But, <laughs> but to me, spirituality is the core of, of health. It's the core of, of being happy, being grounded. And my spirituality is about the, the awesomeness of the fact that we are part of this miraculous experience and, and all of this, all of this life that that's around us and, and that, that somehow we have a consciousness that's inside of our physical being that has the gift of this experience to me. That is mm-hmm. amazing, and and it fuels so much of the energy that I feel, and so much of the activity that that I engage in. Beautiful. I mean, what I what I hear you saying is that there's a there's you have a very strong awareness of how, in fact, all of this in a way is perfectly designed. All of the pieces fit together. Um, and operate so well together. And so I, I'm going to make a leap, Ken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we can go there or not go there. So the leap I'm making or the connection I'm making is between this sense of um, appreciation and and how how things are designed to work well together. I'm curious how that relates to situations where you find that things are not relating well together, whether that's in relationships that call you in as a, a counselor, or whether that relates to um, uh, other dynamics that are not healthy. I'm, I'm curious if, if that fits somewhere, you know? Does this, does this model apply in a way to the kind of work you do? Sure. And the way I think about things, Paul, is that everything is connected to everything else. So all of these things are are interwoven. And it has been a major focus of my work to look at power and to look at the ways that we understand and exercise power. And so a lot of my advising and and speaking and, and writing starts with a question about how we see power being exercised in the world. And, mm. and what, where I begin is to say that, and, and I actually borrow this model from Rianne Eisler. Rianne Eisler is a brilliant woman who wrote a book called The Chalice and the Blade. And I think it was published in around 1985. And she, she says that there's basically two ways to understand and to use power, and they are as 
power as domination or power over mm -hmm. versus power with power as the responsibility to facilitate shared benefits for all concerned. And mm -hmm. we, we live in a civilization that is all about power over. So we have the idea that, that power is about dominating in, in the first instance, when it comes to human beings, it is men dominating women, which has been extrapolated to mean white, to include white people over people of color, to mean right. people who are, are heterosexual over queer people and, and so on and so forth. People who look a way that is culturally considered to be good looking versus people who do not fit that standard. And that, that's right. the, that's the world that we are born into. And so my, much of my work in trying to create health and sanity and justice has been about trying to help people and people systems move from power over to power with, and to, to understand that there, that's a better way. And so when we think about where we are with the natural world, one of the most extreme beliefs, I think, is the myth of dominion, is the idea that human beings are, are somehow cast as the owners of everything that's on the planet. It, it's an obscenity, I think. And, and, it's, yeah, and it's a very old story, as we know. Story, it's certainly part of the Judeo-Christian fundamentalist right. way of looking at the world and many other religions as well. It certainly isn't the basis of more of the earth-based or, or indigenous-based uh, faiths. And, right. and the, the idea that, that I believe that we have gotten into so many horrible messes because we have lived this out, that we have, we have, we have, we have tried to create dominion when we were always, we were always given the gift of communion. Mm. And that we have, yes. that we have to find a way to find value in that. And right. I mean, even the, the, the circumstance we're in now with the global climate catastrophe, with the, with the pandemic, which can be taught, the emergence of pandemics can be tied to climate crisis, overcrowding, in, the intrusion of human beings into, into places where there had been more of a boundary perhaps before between right. and the habitats of other, of other animals. Uh, our, 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 our movement across the planet without any, any thoughts or restrictions on, on what, that, what could, that could bring to other places where we, where we visit, right. where we do business. And so, so, much, so I, I, I've done a lot of work that, that looks at male privilege, white male privilege, privilege heterosexual privilege, the, the ways that, that we are blind to that, we who are white and male and, and, and privileged by class. And, and so the, to me, these things are all interwoven. It's really important for us to look at things that way. I'll tell you a story. I was once, I was once charged with a colleague to go to a conference and I believe we were asked to put together a, a program that would be talking about 
the connections between work-life issues and overall health and wellness. And my colleague, who was a, who was a professional in the world of work-life, said to me, "I don't know where to begin with this. Like, what do we do with this?" And I and I and to me, it, I looked at this immediately. I look at all things, as I said, as being very much connected. And I said to her, "Well, if you start from the premise that everything is connected to everything else, then you what's left is the question: How are these things connected?" Mm -hmm. And there was a bit of a pause, and she said to me. I don't believe that. I don't believe oh. that everything is connected to everything else. And this is a, a friend of mine who, who remains a dear friend of mine, but we have very, some very significant differences in the way we think of the world. She came sure. from a fundamentalist religious background. And, and I, I was really, I was really thrown by, by that perspective. Because to me, that's self-evident. And it's, it's also fundamental to the way I was trained as a family therapist. So I'm trained as a family systems therapist. With my I see. Okay. Where everything is connected. Yeah, sure. Primary modality of, of understanding people within their larger systems context. But, but if you don't think that way, if you think in a linear way as opposed to a circular or a systemic way, I think you miss a lot. Yeah. And, and so... Does that answer the question? Maybe that was a bit roundabout. It, no, 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 no. That that was that was awesome. And so now my next question, which is, um, so so for for people who are intrigued by this idea that everything is connected, or for people who are intrigued about the possibility of having power with instead of power over. Are there some things, whether those are practices, things to read, things to consider, are there some things you'd recommend people begin with if they're interested in having an appreciation of this connection or shifting their view of power from dominion to collaboration? Any, any thoughts about that? Well, first of all, I think that just the question of how, how is this connected to that? How is Good. this thing connected okay. to that thing? How are they how are they related? How do they move in relation to one another is always an important mm -hmm. question to ask. But when you when you think about power over, power with, I, I can give you some some tenets of each. So, ah. so power over is always looking for for ranking questions it's always it's always evaluating everything through ranking questions okay which way Who's better than someone else which way of doing this is better which way is worse which way of doing this or being this is healthy and which is unhealthy which is holy and which is unholy it's always mm. about trying to figure out who's on top who's winning who's losing mm -hmm. And, and it approaches differences from a perspective that is always judging in a negative way, always judging mm -hmm. with those questions and, and always looking for the upper hand. Okay. And in a power over perspective, there is a fixed amount of everything. There's a fixed amount of justice. So that, for example, if women are gaining are gaining voice and presence and and position then men must be losing it 
they're queer. It's it, it, it's reduced to absurdity. I believe in the example of queer people given the right to marry see, right. and straight people trying to find feeling feeling threatened by that. And then when it came to the Supreme Court and the proponents of of negating the ability for people to have same sex marriages, when the court asked, what is the damage to people who are heterosexual? There was nothing that could be presented as damage. All that all that one can see is somehow the idea that you are more special, that you are more that you simply have a privilege based on difference. Well, now this is intriguing because it it makes me wonder about the fear component in the power over piece. Yes, fear. This fear fear is is central to power over because one is always trying to hold on to the upper gotcha. hand. So fear of always. losing so, upper hand, fear of losing status, yeah, is a big driver. Yeah, and and in a so power with is hey, I'm okay. I'm healthy. I'm doing things that are that are good in the world. So are you. So are you. You are not better than me. You are not. You are not any way worse than me. And my my job in this life is to try to facilitate benefits that are shared, mm-hmm. benefits that are that are good for all of us. And so, for example, we have a president who is constantly, constantly trying to be more special, to be the one on top of everything the, the, and, and pitting people against groups against yes. one another. It's the, it's the epitome of domination, of power right. over. And, and instead, what we need is a sense that we are all in this together and that, and so I'll, I'll talk more about power with power with when confronted with a difference, ask the question, what can I learn from this other world experience, this other world, this other way of doing things? How can the two of us together do things that are going to benefit both of us even more than before? Right. How can we join together and create an even more productive, successful endeavor. Right. And in a, in a power with structure, there is, there is not a sense of limitation. There's a sense that your gaining power is good for me too. Your gaining voice and presence and visibility is something that I will always learn from and I will always benefit from. It doesn't take anything away from right. It benefits all of us that there is a there is room enough here for us all to be healthy and to share and to gain and to and and we don't have to hoard the benefits for ourselves we don't have to hoard things for ourselves we can we can count on and begin to trust across boundaries of difference thank you that was so helpful actually um so you know, you mentioned earlier on about your your sense of purpose and how important it was, maybe I think you said 20 years ago, to, to mm-hmm. art, be able to articulate that for yourself and how it has grown and expanded over time to, to, to include not only the work you've done, but also 
the, um, the care you give to the natural world. So I'm curious if there's anything you would offer folks who are curious about purpose, are maybe unsure of their own, um, seem to be struggling for direction. Are there any things from your experience that you could share around that, that, that might be useful for other folks to hear? Sure. So what are you interested in? What, and if, and if you've been working, if you've been working for a long time and you sort of have lost a sense of what you're interested in. And I say that because I think this happens to a lot of people. They get on, they, they, they get on the conveyor belt of some aspect of life, usually their job when they're young, because maybe they, they just have to make a living, which we all have to do. And so they're doing whatever they're doing and they're not thinking about it terribly much. And now it's many years later and you ask them the question, what do you love doing? What inspires you? And they, they don't know. But if you do know, that's very important. And if you don't know, oftentimes you can think about what was most compelling for you when you were a mm. child. What did you love about, about the world when you were a child? Did you love being outside? Did you love constructing things maybe with, with blocks? Did you, did you love t- talking and playing with, with friends? Did you love listening to or or learning a musical instrument. Many, many children learn a musical instrument and then, and then over time they have to let go of it because there's other things that take priority as we grow, as we grow older. But what, what was most, what was most inspiring and what made you happy and, and made you feel content. And, and the the other thing I think is really important for us, for us to do is to explore Mm -hmm to try things that we think we may like. And, and I'll give you an example for, for me. I, I've always, I've always loved animals. I've loved anything to do with, with nature. And I couldn't decide when I was in college, whether I wanted to be a veterinarian or do something that had to do with mental Mm. health. And, and so what I did was I volunteered for my veterinarian veterinarian who took care of my family's animals during one of the one of the summers when I was in college and I worked for this for this veterinarian and he he was a really interesting and and very fascinating guy in many ways and I determined through doing that 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 wasn't what I wanted to Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. that there was not enough people contact there was not enough urgency, I guess, most of the time, but mostly it had, the thing that, that struck me was that I just, I just didn't feel like I had enough contact with other people in a way that, that, that fed my nosiness <laughs> and my, <laughs> wanting to understand how other people, what, what goes on in other people's hearts yeah. and minds. And at one point, at the very end of our time together, his name was Max. Max and I were, were outside of the, his office, his practice, we each had a cup of coffee and he said to me, you know, I don't think you're going to be a veterinarian. I think you're going to be a shrink. And, and I think you're, I think I'm going to be one of your first patients. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it was, it was fascinating to me because, you know, sometimes people can tell us things that help us to clarify 
for ourselves. Yes. What what we don't see as readily, you know, in ourselves. That's right. And so I think one of the things that we can do is we can ask other people, like, what do you know? What do you yes. think about what really inspires me? When have you seen me be really excited? Because particular, I'll say this particularly for men, gender structures so much about how we come to understand who we are in the world. And, and I'll put that differently. Gender limits us in profound ways. And, and that's, I've written quite a bit about that. And, and it's something that I speak on with some regularity as well. And, and particularly for us men, we have put, we have allowed ourselves to be limited in our emotional, our emotional palette and our, our understanding of our likes and dislikes because we, we were told early on that, that we had to do that, that in order to be a man, we had, sure. to be, we had to be constrained in a lot of ways that limited our humanity. And so for men, I think it can often be quite a, a challenge to begin to parse out, what do I love? Who am I really? What would I be doing if I, if I could do whatever my heart desired? And, and mm. those are, those are questions that we have the right to, to explore. And one of the things, one of the things I can tell you, Paul, that's always been important to me and, and it may, it, it may sound a little bit morbid. I hope it doesn't, but I am keenly aware that our lives are not infinite, that we're here for a limited period of time. And that has been there's, there's another great book that I'll mention. Have you ever read Dwayne Elgin's Voluntary Simplicity? Dwayne Elgin, very short, really wonderful, really just beautiful. And he has a section in it that, that is, the subtitle of the section is Let Death Be Your Friend. And mm. the, the idea is if you know, I mean, you know you're going to die, then this life, every, every bit of it, is gonna you're gonna you're gonna know it's valuable you're gonna feel its mm. value and and so for example i knew that i wanted i i loved i loved all that i learned in the corporate world but i knew that that was not that was not my calling your we we our lives are short if you live 90 years that's still short and so i knew that i was going to take what i took what i learned through through my time as a as a clinician in various settings, and then as a what I consider to be a human systems consultant slash clinician in the in the corporate world, and 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 then go and apply that on my own in my own business because I know that life is not infinite, and I would also have the time to devote to my work in my permaculture project. I think mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. vitally important for people to be aware that this beautiful life of ours comes to an end very, very yes. more quickly than we would ever imagine. And so, so take advantage of that knowledge and think about what do I want to be doing at the later stages of my life? How can I live a content right. and fulfilled life at all stages? And, and another thing that I'll just throw in there, Paul, is save whatever money you can possibly save because money is power fundamentally in this society. And the more you can squirrel away and invest wisely 
and live below your means if you possibly can, the more options you're exactly. going to have. Well, now, folks who are listening, you have some things you need to do, right? Which is to really appreciate the the value of what little time we have and the high value uh, of money. And then the third is asking yourself, given all those things, what would you like to do? Ken, this has been such an amazing and inspirational conversation. I thank you so much. It's great to talk with you, Paul. So for folks who are listening, I want to thank everyone for being with us today, listening to Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. And if you would like to learn more about what he does, please visit his website at greengateleadership.com.